Cardology is now presented by Sardine, and I couldn't be more excited. You'll get to meet their founder, Soups, and some of the team later this quarter, and you'll hear a bit more about why they've caught the attention of some of the smartest fraud leaders I know throughout crypto, fintech, financial services, and e-commerce. Thanks again to Sardine for supporting this episode of Fraudology. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to this week's Thursday episode of the Fraudology podcast, where we dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of an e-commerce fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick. This week, I wanted to dive in to what can and does happen when PII data or specifically account credentials are compromised or breached and exposed and put out into the wild, essentially. I think a lot of us know that is one way that account takeovers can happen, but what do they look like? And how do you know if a sudden spike in account takeovers is because there may be fresh new data out there or it's just a random attack? It's hard to know. And there's a scattershot pattern that happens when we do see an online company have login information breached. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about that more today. And I will share a real world example of that later on in the episode of that might help explain why I thought that this was a good week to talk about it. First, I just want to thank you all. At the risk of sounding so cheesy, I am beyond humble and surprised whenever the numbers go up. I don't look at them every day, but when my podcast producer provided them at the end of September, I kind of did a double take because I don't know, guys, I don't always feel like I'm talking about the right topics or talking to the right people. I know every person I talk to is the right person, but I never know if I'm missing the mark, meeting the mark, etc. That's why if you could please spend 10 minutes before the end of the month filling out the Fraudology listener survey, I would be so grateful. The link to that is in the show notes for the last few episodes. It's in today's show notes. So please help me help you in that way, or at least feel confident that, okay, this is what people want to know, right? Do you want to know more about details about fraud? Do you want to know more about kind of the life of a fraud fighter and the commonalities that we have, whether where we work in e-commerce or banking or insurance or healthcare or wherever? I Sometimes I feel like I'm shooting in the dark, but The fact that the podcast has grown in listeners and in total episode numbers almost 4x since the beginning of this year is just mind-blowing to me, and I really appreciate it so much. And as far as I'm concerned, this is everyone's platform in fraud. I'm just the voice. Again, always want to hear what you want to hear. So before diving into this, I could legitimately do seven or eight episodes on all the different ways that data is monetized from data breaches, but I'm going to try to cram this into just, we'll see, I'm not going to commit to a time yet, but I was going to say a 30-minute podcast, but I'm like, the last time I said that, it ended up being 40 minutes. (laughs) But, you know, talk about just, I'm going to narrow it down a little bit as far as the specific type of breaches, because for a lot of reasons, one is that account takeovers are increasing quite a bit over the last few months. And I think there are different reasons for that. I'm going to have two guests come on soon that I'm really excited for you guys to hear from that will talk about newer account takeover methods and how data breaches are one source of them. But there's also malware and phishing and all that. And depending on how the data was obtained, as well as who obtained it and everything else, that's going to impact 
the type of account takeover you see. Uh, just a couple of reminders. What constitutes a data breach or a compromise is often when there is a large amount of data that is exposed or taken from a database, an online database usually. Not always online, but oftentimes the data that is obtained and what company it was obtained from can impact how that information is monetized. I don't know if everyone else has a hard time explaining what they do when someone asks them that question that they think will be simple for us to answer. But for me, I often just as a short answer will say that I work in a subset of cybersecurity. And that's not totally true, but people understand cybersecurity a lot more than they understand fraud prevention or cyber fraud or anything like that. But when people ask, what is the difference between cybersecurity and fraud? And, and sometimes I get that question or someone's trying to say, oh, we'll just put you in the cybersecurity bucket. I'm happy to be there, but just know that there's a difference. And to be the way that I differ in InfoSec or cybersecurity or soccer, whatever that looks like, is that usually the main goal of cybersecurity is to keep the bad guys out and keep bad guys, sorry, but bad actors from obtaining your company's data, from getting into your systems. So they're really like that first wall of defense, right? They're really keeping people out from obtaining your company's data. Fraud, on the other hand, is preventing your company from being used to monetize that data. But that data didn't have to come from your company. 90 whatever percent, I don't know if there's really a stat, but the majority of the time, if not almost always, the data that's being monetized on your website or towards your bank or your financial institution, whether it's identity theft or other ways, is from another company, right? It's not from your own company. So that's just one differentiator there. As far as how we can look at data breaches and determine how will that be monetized? This is something that I've just learned over time from so many data breaches happening, unfortunately. To use some old school examples, when the Equifax, you know, the credit, one of the three main credit bureaus in the U had a data breach, as well as the OPM, the Office of Professional Management, which is essentially like the U.S. federal government's HR department. When both of them had breaches, we saw a huge uptick in identity theft, synthetic fraud. We'd see account takeovers, but usually it would be by contacting a company and being able to provide verifiable information because they had everything about you from a credit bureau. They could answer those out of wallet questions. Who was your first mortgage broker or something like that? Those were the type of account takeovers we saw. They were a little bit harder to get to, but they and weren't as automated, but certainly could do a lot of damage. The Target and Home Depot breach, I feel like I'm constantly saying those breaches were actually of physical card transactions because physical card transactions don't have the same regulations as online card transactions. At least at the time, those card numbers weren't encrypted in the same way as they are and tokenized online. So they were more easily obtainable. But when we saw those breaches happen, it was really a lot of payment fraud. But also not because a lot of banks identified the cards that had been compromised and shut them down. So that was really the tipping point for hackers to realize there's not as much of a demand for card numbers as there used to be because banks now have technology to be able to identify which cards are compromised and they'll shut them down. Or somebody will realize their card is compromised and shut them down. But if you target PII, if you target information that doesn't change very often, then you can get more bang for your buck, so to speak. We did see some targeted social engineering and things like that because based on the first six digits of the card and the bin number, the 
banks could, or bad actors could identify which bank someone used, and then they could contact them and say they were calling from their bank and try to get more information from them. But still a lot more time, just time intensive on their part. And really it's a numbers game, right? How much can they monetize? How much they, can they get out of this for as quickly as possible? And then another way to monetize is to sell that data over and over. When we talk about account takeovers, not all account takeovers are created equal, and they're certainly not all going to be coming from breach credentials, right? A lot will come from phishing or voice phishing attacks towards your consumers, social engineering, malware. I've talked about that fairly often. Credential stuffing, brute force. So there's different ways of doing of account takeovers. But today I wanted to talk about what happens when a database of an online company of usernames and passwords gets exposed. There's been a few examples of that over the years, whether that's on a large scale. There's definitely examples of that almost daily, unfortunately, the smaller scale. But at a large scale, I think about the Hulu breach, which was so many years ago, or Yahoo, etc. Those are similar. Your username and password can change more than your social security number or your name and address or your any government ID number, depending on what country you're in. Those won't ever change. You know, your username and password in theory can change more often than that. But we all know that we're relying on consumers to do that. I know for me, once I set a password, I'm not necessarily thinking, oh, I need to go back in and change that. It's been a year or two years or, oh, I need to make sure that none of my accounts have the same password or similar password as other accounts. Those of you listening, myself included, like we all probably think about that a lot more than the normal person or the average consumer, but certainly the vast majority of consumers aren't thinking, okay, every year I'm going to change all my passwords and I'm going to make sure they're unique or I'm going to export them into a password manager. It's just not unfortunately, something that everyone thinks about. And that's why these things still work. That's why data breaches are still happening. That's why hackers are targeting these information because it still has value, right? So the hackers will gather the data, they'll sell it, and then it will get monetized. So like I mentioned, whenever usernames and passwords are breached or mentioned, I know for the longest time, whenever a breach would be announced, a lot of regular consumers felt like, oh, they didn't say credit card numbers. Okay, we're good. Okay, they didn't say social security numbers. Okay, we're good. But like I said, if you're not changing your password all the time, and if you have it shared with other accounts, you're not good. Those lists of credentials will be monetized into account takeovers. Who should worry first? What outside actions will dictate the methods of account takeovers that you'll see? What are the number of companies that will be targeted for ATOs, et cetera? Those are all things that I kind of want to talk about today. I'm going to use a very hypothetical example. I just made up a type of company because I don't think it exists. And if it does, it's very small. Uh, let's just say that there's a very large website that specializes in international mustards and it has millions of users. And let's say that their database of usernames and passwords are breached. So hackers have targeted them. They have been able to extract usernames and passwords out of their systems. Who will be the first target company for ATOs from that list? Okay, don't all answer at once. I don't usually do that because I do realize this is a one-way conversation, but I was just trying to be funny, I guess. It would be that particular company. So that was something that I hadn't thought of until not super recently, but fairly recently where, oh yeah, that would make sense. Now that actors know here is a list of millions of usernames and accounts for 
this company. Let's go in and use this card on file. Let's see what sort of values in there. Let's see as much as we can get out of these accounts. Uh, the second target will be their largest competitor because they have an overlap in customers. And, you know, the password is maybe specific to that type of company or some people, you know, will group their password creations or things like that, or it'll be similar enough to where they can put it in a script and they can figure it out pretty easily. Some people think that they're very clever in coming up with the month or the year that they created the account. That's sometimes something that can be open sourced depending on the account. So not always the case, but if you have one word and some numbers around it, do you just change the numbers? If so, is that something that can be guessable or whatever? What can and should the first and second target companies look for? I always think that one of the first things to do whenever you see a spike in account takeovers or failed login attempts or whatever the metric is that you're using to look at it is what's the motive of the account takeover? Are they verifying the account access, verifying that username and password belongs to that account and maybe taking a little bit of inventory, poking around the account scene? If they have a stored card on file, do they have more than one stored card on file? What do they have in the account? And then they'll compile that list of verifiable accounts and sell them for more than they could if they just did a full dump of credentials and didn't know for sure that those uh, would access specific accounts. Other motives, obviously monetizing the card on file, monetizing an alternative payment method or a wallet that's connected to the account, draining stored value. So do you have credits, loyalty points, air miles, anything like that on the account that can be transferred and then resold? So what are they looking for on your site? What are they trying to do? For banking, I know it's going to be different, right? So that motive could be, are they going to transfer money out? Are they going to use it as a mule account? What is their main focus there? That can help you identify MO. That can help you identify some of the behavior patterns. Where are they going to go? What are they going to look at? What are the commonalities of those? How are they accessing your accounts? Are they doing it via scripts and bots? Are they manually accessing them? How many tries are they doing per password to use? Are they requesting a password reset? If so, that might mean that they have access to the email inbox for that user. Not all accounts are going to be connected to all those things. Not all accounts are going to have the same passwords, etc. These are just some places to look, right, to diagnose it. Looking at the patterns of attack. The IPs and devices, are they same or are they different? Are they all using the same ISP? Does it all look like Verizon Wireless? But then there's something else too. I'm trying to be specific without giving too many blueprints away, knowing that this is still, you know, a public forum. But what's the volume or the number of account takeover attempts or failed logins? If you're seeing evidence of account takeovers, but there isn't a spike in failed logins, that can tell you, wow, this isn't a really good list. Is it our list? Is it our competitor's list? Or is it just, wow, they really did a good job? Or maybe somebody else accessed these accounts before to verify the access. And then this is a resold list. Really understanding kind of just the way that the fraud underground, so to speak, works and how they all work together can be very helpful too, as far as the stages of different things. As far as is it a coordinated attack, there's no overlap among the accounts that are accessed. The way I heard it explained recently was if I had a list of 500 accounts and you had a list of 500 accounts and we ran a script or we manually logged into each one, we would never log into the same account. Like I would never log into an account that you tried and you would never log into an account that I tried. That probably means 
that it's a coordinated attack. This isn't a case of the list was sold to five different groups and five different groups all have the same list. This is we probably all work together in some form or fashion and we split up the list in five or we split up the list in 50 and we're just going through our list so we never really overlap each other. So that's one way you could tell, hey, maybe the list haven't been sold yet. Maybe we're still early on in this. Has the list been sold? And if the list has been sold, you will see overlap. You'll see a lot more higher failed login attempts. You'll see different devices logging into the same accounts because they probably have duplicates of the same list. There's no honor among thieves, so they're not break up the list into even portions and not give everyone the same list. That can definitely lead to information being stale or the card on file already being shut off or the account already being frozen, things like that. So additionally, you know, as items are being shipped, and this is, you know, more specific to e-commerce, but where are they being shipped? Is it residential? Is it commercial? Is it a freight forwarder? Are there geographic similarities? If it's a freight forwarder, chances are it's going to be overseas, right? If it's residential and within one geography, then maybe there's just one group doing it that's uh, maybe localized somewhere. Or if it's all over the place, maybe they have reshippers that they've hired, or maybe they're hoping to reroute those packages. Uh, these are all things that can just help you understand more about the ATO before diving in even more and figuring out how to solve it. These will help you identify them as well as understand what is their motivation? What are they trying to get? How can we slow that down? How can we stop that? If items are being drained or transferred, where are they all going? If it's a bank account, if it's a mobile wallet, if it is gift card balances or store credits or loyalty points, are they all being transferred to one massive account or are they being transferred to several new accounts? Chances are they'll sell access to those newly created accounts for the stored value. For instance, I'll transfer balances from taking over accounts. I almost said hacked accounts. And I know that's kind of like the layman's term. It's just, I'm trying hard not to say it because I obviously there is a big difference between hacking and having an account hacked. And anyway, but sometimes they'll sell the credits in the new account for money or other times they'll put it all in one massive one and then try to cash out. There's just, there's different ways of doing it, but that can help you identify their motivation to, again, be able to slow that down. Maybe you stop transfers to new accounts for a while or whatever that may be. So if you see the sudden spike in account takeovers and they all kind of look the same as far as the MO and it looks like maybe the lists haven't been sold yet because there's no overlap and all of that. And you're thinking, oh, could this be due to a data breach? A couple of things you can do first is reach out to the payment methods or your payment partners to see if they've identified a pattern, such as most orders are placed using a third-party wallet or alternative payment method or the same bin number, or we're seeing very similar device ID ranges or device types or language in the browser or whatever that device information that they're gathering. What are the patterns that your providers are seeing? Also look online, like Twitter and Reddit especially. That's where customers go to complain when their accounts are taken over. Unfortunately, a lot of companies aren't prepared for this high volume. And so they then just have to put everything on hold and put like a freeze on everything. And some people won't know the status of their account for a few days and knowing ahead of time and seeing, okay, that's usually the time when customers are going to complain, right? Because they couldn't get it resolved. They don't know what's going on. So they're going to go on social media. And that's a great way to see. Is there one particular company that's being talked about quite a bit for getting accounts hacked or having funds stolen out of your account for a certain online company? 
that is a really good method of knowing that. If you have a relationship with that particular company that you're seeing mentioned on social media, and contact them to make sure that they're aware of it and ask for any help. Granted, if their comms team is involved in the conversation, they'll probably receive a scripted response or the comms team will just show up to the call. So be prepared for that. But that can also be a indication that maybe there really was a data compromise on their side because they're not going to get their comms team involved unless there's something that they feel like they need to be really careful around the messaging. So if you're starting to see these signs, if you're starting to see increased account takeover attempts, you're seeing increased fail logins, you're seeing an increase in your own customers reaching out to you. I mean, first make sure with your data security that you're not the one that had a data compromise, but then work on strengthening your account security. Contact your fraud vendors right away to verify that they're witnessing a similar uptick in ATOs. And maybe they have more information that they've observed to track and identify them. As I just mentioned, right, they might have more device information or more information about the patterns. They also could work with that company or they might be seeing similar activity on similar companies. Huh, all these companies have, uh, you know, they all sell similar items or all of these financial institutions all provide neobanking or whatever those themes are for them. And that can be very helpful too. And consider account protection and authentication. There's definitely some options for passive authentication. And then you can add step up verifications when passive authentication can't authenticate someone or targeted friction, which is a fairly narrow new word that I learned that I'm going to be using a lot. And I plan to dive into that term a lot down the line. But that's really, you know, narrowing down the number of accounts based on observed risk factors to force, you know, step up authentication or provide a few more restrictions to their account. For instance, if you allow fund transfers or loyalty point transfers or gift card transfers or funds from bank accounts, whatever that is, maybe you're going to limit how much money they can transfer out because if that account has been compromised, it's going to hinder the amount of money that the bad actor gets as well as that your consumer loses or that your company loses. But you're not applying that to everyone, right? You're not saying, okay, anyone that asks for a password reset has to do all these things. You're just saying, okay, if they have this risk factor and this risk factor and they're trying to do this action, then we're going to limit it. That's more what, you know, the targeted friction means. And I think that really is where we should all be going for so many reasons. As soon as you can verify for sure that account credentials have been exposed, jump into actions and escalations. Sometimes leadership approval is needed. Sometimes you can't go to DEF CON 3 or 4 or whatever the highest status is without saying, hey, leadership, we just need to give you a heads up that this happened. This account had a data breach and this is what the impact is going to be on us. We need to get ahead of it rather than behind it. And here are all the reasons why. You may just hear rumors. It may not be confirmed yet. And so then you have to tread a lot more carefully. But it is something that as soon as you can verify for sure that is what was happened, step leap into action. Sardine is now sponsoring Fraudology, and one of the reasons I've been so impressed by Sardine is their founder, Soups Ranjan. 
You'll hear my full conversation with him in the next few weeks, and you'll get to hear about some of his experiences and his passion for fraud fighting for yourself. But the TLDR, or the high-level summary, is that he started out as a fraud fighter with an engineering and data science background, and he was tasked with quickly identifying a fraud solution for one of the fastest-growing companies in the relatively new and high-risk crypto industry almost a decade ago. But after learning about the available options for online fraud detection, he became frustrated with the existing tools on the market. And as fellow fraud fighters, I think a lot of us know exactly the kind of tools he was frustrated with. The legacy fraud tools that just return a score or a signal or a yes, no, maybe without your team getting to understand all of the aggregated data or the value attributed to each data point that goes into calculating that score or the vendor who won't give you your company's data for your own models and their own user interface was probably an afterthought. And let's be honest, Soup wasn't the only one who's been frustrated by the status quo in fraud technology. But not all of us are able to rage quit our jobs, recruit a few of the smartest risk engineers we've ever known, and go build a fraud platform that is truly built by the fraud squad for the fraud squad. A platform for KYC, AML, and payment risk all in one product that lets the client company decide how to best use the massive amounts of data that's available to them. And that's pretty much exactly what Soups did a few years ago. And the result of those efforts has become one of the fastest growing solution providers in fraud that I've seen in many years. And that company is Sardine. To learn more about Sardine or to book a personalized demo, you can go to www.sardine.ai or just click the link at the top of the description for today's episode. Some of the things, and I think that it should be similar for a cybersecurity event where for fraud, I think that we should all have a crisis plan for if all of a sudden account takeovers go skyrocket or all of a sudden passwords are no longer being verified on your system because somebody changed one line of code on the website and it took, you know, a day and a half to realize, oh, anyone could have entered any password in and it would have worked. That true story just recently happened to an online company and is yet another example of how so many other things impact fraud within a company. But just some of the things that you can think about in having that crisis plan is forced password resets. Not Maybe not for everyone, but maybe if you know for sure that these accounts were compromised, etc. Allow for more declines due to fraud. When you have a spike in fraud, I know that a lot of companies have an SLA on how much fraud is approved, and that's important. There are definitely way more false positives than most companies ever realize. But it's also important to find that balance. And if you know that there is a lot of data out there that could overlap with your customers' accounts, it might be better to be safe than sorry and allow for more declines due to fraud because of that, especially if your system has a threshold. Customer outreach and education, I'm a big fan of that. The guest coming up on Tuesday, oh my gosh, you guys, well, actually next week we're going to have it be a two-parter. She found some insanely creative ways to really change the culture about fraud and just the perspective of fraud in her company. And I think you'll be really inspired by that. But one of them is by educating customers and by helping the business understand that old adage of if we say the F word, if we say fraud, people are going to associate us with fraud. Now I think consumers are actually looking for companies that are going to protect them and give them the information they need to protect themselves. Not every consumer, 
but definitely a lot of them. A lot of the ones that are internet savvy, which are often going to be your customers or your clients. You can also recommend password managers. I sometimes don't understand why companies will, like companies that have data breaches of login information will offer three credit report bureau. The And this is primarily in the U.S., but I know similar things happen in other parts of the world too, where okay, any kind of breach at all, we need to be able to provide them with a feeling that we're protecting them. So we'll give them a free year of credit monitoring. Well, if your username and password are breached, it is possible, right, that your credit cards and all that could be tied and use similar or the same password. But it's more likely that you need a password manager. So I've never really understood why companies don't offer free password manager or password management from a company rather than credit beer monitoring for something that won't happen. But that's just me wondering things out loud. <laughs> and then there's account protection products for your e-commerce, for your bank, things that will help you detect that more. If that's not a layer that you have now, it should be something either that you add sooner rather than later, or that you know if we're to have a big uptick in this activity and it seems to be due to this issue, we are going to press the red button and these three things are going to happen or we're going to implement these three things. That certainly is going to help you because when things hit the fan and when there's a lot of stress, you're going to have to be in meetings with other parts of the organization and explain what's going on. And it's going to be chaotic and you're not going to be able to have the time needed to identify the right solutions or the right people to bring in, et cetera. So once the first two companies are targeted and the details and or the, the lists of the login information are sold, more fraudsters with credentials equals a lot more MOs to memorize and track. There's going to be overlaps of attempts because the lists are sold more than once, often from scripted accounts or attacks. So oftentimes bots are going to go on because now they don't know for certainty that the same credentials are used for all websites. So they're going to do a lot of trial and error and that the cheapest way for them to do that is through scripted attacks. Purchasers are the, of the list may or may not know the source, right? They may not know who the company was where this data came from. So therefore, they're not always going to be in the same circle of that item. They're not going to say, okay, well, this was a streaming service. So chances are they all have streaming service passwords and they probably use the same one. So we're going to go after all the streaming services first. No, they'll just start going after anything and everything. And it's pure chaos. And that actually makes it a lot harder to identify. They'll also sometimes see phishing scams, targeting emails with reset password emails it leads to getting a new password on the fake or duplicate website. So basically they'll send out, if they know that that person probably has a account with this particular company, but that username and password that they have doesn't work, they might then send an email that looks like from a legitimate website saying, hey, your password may have been compromised, enter a new username and password here. And then they'll do that and they're actually entering it into the bad actors website and not the actual website. So. Those are all just some of the things that can happen from that. So I promised you guys a story. So now's story time. And that's really just why this topic came up to me and why I thought it would be worth sharing this week. 
is partially because at the end of last week, I was contacted by a large company that I know their fraud leader fairly well. And they had concerns that one of their competitors may have been victims of a data breach of user credentials. Another online company, they don't, they still don't know for sure. It is still a suspected breach, which is why I didn't want to lead with this. And yes, I do know the name of the company and the category and all of that, but that is not something I'm going to be sharing publicly or that I can share publicly until they either announce it or you know we see a lot of coming from there but i've already verified with dark web intelligence companies that i know of that they aren't seeing lists from a large e-commerce company being sold yet but that's consistent with what this merchant is seeing so without giving a ton of details there are some solution providers that all online companies use whether that's payment providers or a layer of fraud prevention etc they were being overly careful about what they were seeing when this merchant basically looked said, hey, we've seen our account takeover attempts go up several times in the last few days. And it was almost five times higher than it ever usually is all at once. So they kind of went into diagnostics, right? And they did the similar kind of diagnostics that I just talked about as far as what is the motivation? What are they looking at? What are the commonalities? All of those pieces. And then they went on to social media to see if... There were any, if there were any spikes in talking about any online company, they weren't first thinking it would be their competitor. It was just like, well, who got breached? Because this seems like they have a lot more data and there's a fairly high success rate on the logins and just the different things they were able to be able to identify from the login events told them that there had to have been data breached rather than this was maybe the result of a phishing attack or social engineering or malware or others. And so then they went in social media and they saw that their biggest competitor was actually being talked about the most and that customers were on there saying my account was hacked or whatever they were saying. And then some of them were posting screenshots of the receipt of the order that bad actors did on their stolen, stolen payment methods or on their payment methods on file. So that helped them narrow it down as well. Okay, yep, this is consistent with what we're looking at too. These are similar geographic areas, et cetera. And the person who runs fraud at this company had uh, worked for another company that had a very similar data breach several years ago. And so they had some insight into exactly what that account takeover behavior looks like. And so it was very familiar to them. They were also able to say, hey, if you know you can get me in touch with these people and if that really is what happened, I don't know if they're going to want to tell me that. But if so, I can give them some advice because I definitely know what's going to happen. And he, they said once the lists are sold, then all hell is going to break loose. Everyone's going to see this. So let's try to nip it now and try to figure out you know, the calm before the storm, so to speak. There were starting to be anecdotal accounts from friends and family that were hacked on that competitor website, like letting people know at this particular company, hey, you might find it funny that I got my account hacked at your competitor. And they don't really live in a large town. So this is weird. This is starting to become way more than just a coincidence. And like I said, they saw a steep increase in their account takeovers in just three days. And it was simultaneously the exact same three days that the uptick in social media posts happened. 
There were other factors that they knew of as well that made them really suspect a data breach on their competitor's website. But I'm going to try to protect the innocent and not share so many details. But this merchant's challenge was that their leadership wouldn't approve enhanced security measures to really lock down accounts. We all know the balance between friction and fraud unless they could really provide a reason such as our competitor suffered a breach. But we all know the companies have two weeks to notify authorities about breaches. I believe that's both through GDPR compliance as well as CCPB and others. And so a lot of fraud can happen in those two weeks. And that was really the concern. So I worked to back channel some things. I certainly have gotten more pieces to the puzzle, but nothing confirming it. And even if I did. That's not my news to share. <laughs> uh, that is up to the company with their communications team, etc. Two weeks could be a lifetime worth of damage in fraud losses through chargebacks and write-offs and just account takeovers and lost trust at so many different companies, not only the company that had that breach. And so that was one of the reasons why I spent some time doing some research and finding out, is this a very odd coincidence, or is there something going on that might be announced in the next couple of weeks? They first reached out to see if I had heard anything about it, yet I hadn't. Like I said, I started back-channeling a little bit and trying to figure out some things. But really, I wanted this episode to serve two purposes. One, to understand how data breaches and other issues at a competitor can impact your fraud, and to help remind you to be prepared with backup plans and kind of those defenses when you have a category five hurricane, so to speak, when all of a sudden there's this huge spike in account takeover attempts and it looks like they have credentials of some kind that they're attempting or maybe trying to change a little bit to see if they can get access to the account, picking a safe or trying different lock combinations. So when you start to see that, it's like, okay, this could mean something else. And then going down that list and then making sure that you're prepared for it. Maybe these aren't defenses that you put in now, or maybe there are solutions that, you know, your current providers offer that can help you. Maybe you don't need it right now, but okay, that's good to know. And because you offer it, you can just add this to our API, right? We don't have to do any other implementation. Okay, you're going to be on our backup list for like when we have to press the red button. That's one way of doing it as well. And then the second reason is that if you are an online retailer and you're seeing a sudden spike in account takeover volume in the last week, this could be why. If there is an announcement, I can share some more details about some of the MO of the account takeovers that the merchants that are starting to see spikes. And it's not just this first company that contacted me. There's been a couple others in the last few days that have said, hold up, wait a minute, like we're seeing multipliers of two to four X of how many ATO attempts or failed logins we see on a regular basis. What's going on? And I think it's a combination of things. It's a perfect storm for so many reasons, but it could be indicative of there being more data out there that is being monetized as quickly as possible to get as much money out of it as possible. And that really is where we all come in, right? That's, you know, what your job is. And I... Think of my job as telling you about it so you can do your job better. So all of that. I will say that I've attempted to reach out to the head of fraud at uh, the company, but I haven't heard back and I'm not surprised. It's not that I said, hey, you're being accused of this, but especially if there's anything going on. And I'm sure they're very at the very least seeing all of the tweets and Reddit threads and others. They probably have been advised just not to talk to anyone right now. So I totally get it, but I have tried to do my best to verify it. But until it's verified, I am not 
naming that company to anyone, not even in private conversations. I will say, hey, have you seen any signs of compromised credentials out there? Or are you seeing an uptick or a huge spike in account takeovers? But I'm not naming names because wisdom of my grandfather who was just so eloquent if you ain't said nothing you ain't said nothing and i'm not going to say anything but it's still important to get that information out and i do think that if you are an online company that's seeing this spike go through some of those diagnostic things and try to look for the commonalities and that might help you track and identify why you're seeing this spike now it may not be because it be a data breach it could be because a bad actor has cloned your website and is sending out phishing emails to them it could be because malware has been infected on devices of your users and they're getting the full session data back like it could be a lot of things but this is a possibility that i wanted to mention i always am going to err on the side of more information is better, but also being cautious about the information provided. Like I said at the beginning of this episode, I think that this information is helpful no matter when you listen to it, but because there could possibly be a, and I really honestly don't know, I think it could be 50-50. Is there smoke? Yes. But does that necessarily mean that there's fire? Not always. So whether there's an announcement in the next couple of weeks that there may have been credentials exposed from an online company or whether not, maybe some of these things can help you diagnose where your ATOs are coming from, as well as know that the next time you see an announcement or you hear rumblings that maybe, you know, company XYZ or bank ABC, whatever their credentials leaked or exposed, the username and password, the email and password, et cetera, you'll know, okay, I'm going to go back to that episode. I'm going to figure out like how to identify it. And I hope that giving you enough clues without giving anyone too many breadcrumbs to figure out our secrets. It's always this balance for me. But as always, I just think it's important to think about backups and layers and additional resources and services from your current vendors Maybe having a couple on standby. I know that you know, not everything needs to be vendor heavy. There could also be processes that you put in place when there's a huge uptick in account takeovers. Maybe you're triaging with customer service. Maybe you figure that out, et cetera. I'm always going to err on the side of prevention over reaction for so many reasons. And I think anyone that's been in fraud fighting for long will too. But I hope that this is helpful information, maybe helps you think about things in a way that you hadn't thought of before for your organization as well as for you as a consumer, and just be on the lookout, right? Look for those patterns of being able to identify where in the life cycle of fraud is this? Have they sold the list? Have they not? Are they just testing things? Are they just looking to see if the account is active? Are they looking to see if there's stored credits or there's any kind of stored value on their loyalty points? What are they going after so that you can guard those a little bit more? All of those things will be helpful as I know so many companies, basically now any company with accounts is dealing with some level of increase in account takeovers. So I thought this would be an interesting take on the topic as well as just a good heads up that there's been some companies that have seen very dramatic increases in this recently and they might have some theories, but there's nothing confirmed. But we will just keep doing our best and you can keep an eye out. Look at those failed logins. Look at any kind of communication to customer service. Look at what people are saying online and in social media about your company. All of those will be good indicators as well. With that, I am going to call it a day for this episode. But like I mentioned, I have a really awesome guest next week. I was really inspired by some of the initiatives that she took to help 
her company go from a culture of not really understanding fraud and having it be just this mysterious team that you send things to and not always know what happens to creating this culture where pretty much become a superhero in her company and has provided education that has helped prevent so many fraud issues and scams, you know, targeting their customers and their employees and others. For anyone who struggles with communicating the value of fraud and the impact of fraud to your organization with educating other teams to understand what to send your way and what not to and why things are so important and why you have processes that you need them to follow, especially in customer service and warehouse and operations and other aspects, be sure to subscribe to Fraudology so that you get alerted as soon as those episodes are out because I let you know a little secret. We already recorded the episode and it's really good. Now, of course, I think all of them are good. It's like having to choose my favorite baby, but my favorite child, which for me is easy because I have one. So my favorite is also my least favorite. If you had more than one child, I think you'd understand. Or you probably can understand better where it's, I can't pick just one episode, but I do get very excited about new guests who are talking about new things that I know that a lot of people want to learn from. So with that, I will look forward to speaking with you more next week. again to Sardine for sponsoring this episode of Fraudology and for supporting information sharing and collaboration across the fraud fighter ecosystem. You can learn more about the team and their mission at Sardine via the link in today's episode description.